Will the Antichrist be a Jew or a Gentile? Could he possibly be a Muslim? Will he really be killed and resurrected from the dead, or will that all be a ruse? And where will be his headquarters, in Rome, Babylon, or the United States? Stay tuned for answers to these and other questions about the book of Revelation. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Folks, uh, I have in the studio with me again this week uh, Tim Moore, who is our Associate Evangelist, and Nathan Jones, who is our Internet Evangelist. Last week we began answering questions about the book of Revelation, and in the process we stressed several important points. Tim, give us a summary. I'll be glad to, Dave. First, it is, it is possible for anyone indwelt with the Holy Spirit to understand the book of Revelation. Number two, one of the keys to understanding it is to take it for its plain sense meaning. Number three, the outline of the book can be found in Revelation 1.19. Four, the letters of Jesus to the seven churches recorded in chapters 2 and 3 are symbolic of seven periods of church history, and we are in the last period now. Five, the series of judgments portrayed in tribulation will be chronological in order. Six, the book itself is in chronological order except for occasional flashbacks and flash forwards. And seven, in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will come to Jerusalem where he will kill the two witnesses of God and declare himself to be God. And incidentally, folks, if you missed our program last week, you can find it on our website at lamblion.com where we archive all our TV programs and make them available for people to watch on demand. Or you could also download our Lamb and Lion app. Okay, fellas, let's jump into it once again. Okay. First question sent by John G. In chapter 13 of Revelation, we are introduced to the Antichrist. Do you believe he will be a Gentile or a Jew? Well, I think he's going to be a Gentile. And I think that because it tells us in Revelation chapter 13 that the beast will rise out of the sea. Now, even though I'm a literalist, there are things that are obviously symbolic in nature. And clearly, throughout Scripture, the land of Israel talks about the people, the land, the, the blessed chosen nation of Israel. And the sea refers to the Gentile nations. So, well, even when symbols are used, the symbols have literal meanings. They have literal meanings. Yeah. They're not just some ephemeral thing that we can put any uh, <laughs> meaning we want to spiritualizing them away. But in Daniel chapter 3, chapter 7 verse 3, and in Luke chapter 21 verse 25, we are told about the Gentile nations and the expectation is that the Antichrist will come from those nations that actually destroyed the temple. We know that happened in AD 70 with the Roman Empire. So, out of the former Roman Empire, that portion of the world will come the Antichrist. And that actually is in Daniel chapter 9 verse 26, anyone who wants to look that up. So, I don't think it will be a Jew, it will be a Gentile who manifests himself as the Antichrist. Now, throughout history the church has normally taken the position it's going to be a Jew, but that was, prob that was mainly a, a reflection of their anti-Semitism sure and yes. replacement theology. Yes, again. sir. 
Absolutely. Daniel 9.26, like you said, gives the origin of the Antichrist. And he will be of the people of the prince who shall come destroy the city and the sanctuary. That was the Romans. That was Titus Vespasian. We know then he will be of a European. And we know the European Union will revive and transform into a revived Roman Empire, which the Antichrist will birth out of. So, it's pretty clear that we know he's got to be a Gentile. Yes. Okay. Well, that comes to the next question. And that is one that has come up recently because we've had a couple of prophecy writers recently to start maintaining that the Antichrist is really going to be a Muslim. What about it? Well, that's a quite a new idea, obviously, yeah. because Islam has been kind of reticent until about recently. And now it's, Islam's the news all the time. And unfortunately, people then take the news and they superimpose it over the Bible. Could the Antichrist be a Muslim? I think there's some events that will happen before the Antichrist Christ rises to power that will gut Islam. And that is the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39, where Russia and a coalition of Islamic nations come down to destroy Israel. And Israel, a God over Israel, protects them and destroys those nations instead. It totally guts the Middle East of Israel. Islam, and then we read how the Antichrist then rises up as their protector and goes off to destroy the other armies, likely the other Islamic nations. So, uh, when you get into the tribulation, there's only three religions. There is the Christians who are persecuted, the tribulation saints, there's the Jewish people, and the Antichrist creates his false prophet, creates a new religion, which is basically Satan worship. There's no talk of Islam or Buddhism or any other religion. So, Islam as a religion will not survive into the tribulation according to the timeline of Bible prophecy. I appreciate what you said, Nathan, because you said a lot of people read the news and superimpose it upon Scripture. And that's the exact opposite of what we try to do. We read Scripture and then try to look at the news to understand what God is doing in the world. And so, that's a key distinction. And so, by reading Scripture primarily, yeah, Islam is late to the, uh, the consideration because it was not even around at this time period. And I agree with you. They well, I, I think that uh, the idea is preposterous for two reasons. Number one, it says that the Antichrist is going to go to Jerusalem and declare himself God in the middle of the, uh, of the uh, tribulation. Any Muslim who would declare himself God would be killed by the Muslims. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, th th that's just beyond comprehension. And secondly, it says he's going to make a treaty with that's going to guarantee, I think, the peace of Israel. Yes. And is Israel going to put their faith in a Muslim? I don't think so. No. Okay. This brings us to the next question. Chapter 13 introduces us to a character who's later referred to in chapter 19 as the false prophet. Who is this guy? What is his role? Could he possibly be an apostate pope, for example? Well, uh, we, to counter what we discussed a few moments ago regarding the Antichrist coming up out of the sea, we know that the false prophet is going to come out of the earth. So, that leads us to believe that this person will be Jewish. Mm -hmm. And he will be a Jew who has obviously abandoned the faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know today, sadly, that most Jews in the world are agnostic, and many of them are just hardline atheists. And so, that's not too far from uh, consideration even today. We also know that this individual will force the whole world to worship the beast or his image, which he will craft. So, is it a pope? I don't think so. I think that there have been small a antichrists throughout history. We know that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes was one of those small a antichrists who came and created an abomination there in the temple. But this will be the large a antichrist. And so, this spirit of Antichrist is manifest through different individuals, including, sadly, some religious leaders throughout the world and throughout history. But this false prophet will point people to worship the large A Antichrist and quite possibly will be Jewish. 
And it's interesting how you've got Satan, you've got his Antichrist, which is a, a form of Jesus, a fake Messiah, and then you have a false prophet, which is a spiritual leader. So you get end up with a, a trinity, a counterfeit trinity. An unholy trinity. An unholy trinity, which is that's what Satan does. He's always a counterfeit of God. Yes, he is. Okay, chapter 13 says that the false prophet will force people to take a mark in order to buy and sell. I think there's nothing in the book of Revelation that people are more obsessed with than the mark. Wow, yes. It says the mark will be either the name of the Antichrist or the number of his name, which will be 666. What is meant by the number of his name and why the number 666? Does it have any symbolic significance? I was in a Bible study once. We had this guest. He was a young gentleman. And in the middle of the class, you could tell he just, he just interrupted the teacher. And he says, when the Antichrist comes in and he threatens you and to join him or not, then you just stay with Jesus. You put your head in that guillotine and you have your head chopped off. And you could hear crickets. You know, it's like, what was that all about? It's where you put the rapture of the church is where you think the Antichrist in the mark mm -hmm. of the beast. If you think the rapture of the church happens, you're not worried about the Antichrist. You're not worried about the mark of the beast because the mark is a loyalty mark given to Satan that will be implemented three and a half years into the tribulation well after the rapture. It'll be, and John could see this, so it's not something subcutaneous. The Greek is epi. It's on. He could see the name or the number of the Antichrist on the right hand or forehead. John tells us it's 666 and it's a representation of mankind. If God is the perfect 777, mankind is one less 666. You can go to references too in the Bible about gold 666. Mm. It's a chasing after human things, not yes, after God's That's things. what Solomon was chasing after false gods and he was led away from the true and living God as recorded in 1 Kings 10.14 and also 2 Chronicles 9.13. He had 666 talents of gold. I agree with you, that Nathan. That was the year he turned and began to chase women, yes. horses, and money. Women, horses, and money, yeah. The, the, it's a the symbol awful. among the Jewish people sure of apostasy. I yes. think it's important to recognize for those of us who are believers today, church age believers, we don't have to worry about this mark of the Not beast. But because our program may be viewable by those who are living through the tribulation, they will have to consider what does this mark mean to them. And it will be something that they will be forced to do but at risk of their very salvation. So, obviously, believers will not take the mark of the beast, but it is something that people during the tribulation uh, will have to In deal fact, with. In fact, right now we're getting a lot of questions about this, Nathan, because of the uh, Bill Gates. His uh, ID uh, 2020, yeah. That, uh, he's got some sort of thing he's going well, to Well, during this coronavirus initiative, there's a lot of talk about how do we get the world vaccinated and should we be tracking people all the time? Mm -hmm. And Bill Gates' organization has been suggesting these ideas that, well, we need to be vaccinated and chipped and follow people. Clearly, after you read all the disasters of the tribulation leading up to the middle, people will be clamoring for it because people are disappearing and people are dying. They're going to be want to be tracked. But it is not something you can be tricked into. It's a clear decision to yes. follow the Antichrist and Satan as master. No one will be tricked to be taken the mark. No. Nathan, you've written a book about the angels of Revelation, a very popular book and one that we've just had reprinted. Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, tell us about the gospel angel who's portrayed in Revelation chapter 14. Oh, well, there's three evangelism angels who come to, near the end of the tribulation, and they share uh, the messages of what's going to happen at the end. And one of the three is what we call the gospel angel. And he comes out in Revelation 14, and he goes and he preaches the gospel to the world. And he has a four-part message. It's fear God, in other words, obey God, glorify God, realize that you're 
final judgment is hand, the tribulation is about to end, and worship God. Mm -hmm. In other words, so he goes out and he shares the gospel. And this is counter to the idea that people say, well, the church needs to be in the tribulation for the gospel to spread. The Lord provides the two witnesses and the 144,000 evangelists and the disasters and Lots the materials that we leave behind. Absolutely. Hopefully this book. <laughs> and uh, it's all there, but he leaves it with the gospel angel to give the gospel to every person. And that fulfills what Jesus prophesied, that the gospel would reach the whole world before the end would come. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very encouraging that even in the midst of the tribulation, the God, uh, God's fundamental concern is saving souls. Always. That is real grace. Amen. When people are got their fists like that to God. Okay, this brings us to our next question, and that one has to do with, um, let's see here. Uh, yes, one of our viewers, Sarah N. of Bellevue, Washington, wants to know the meaning of a rather mysterious verse in Revelation 16, 15. She wonders if it is an indication that the rapture is taking place at that point in the second half of the tribulation. So, would one of you read that verse and tell us what you think it means? I'll read it. Uh, Revelation 16, verse 15 says, and it's in parentheses, even in my uh, translation here, the New American Standard, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. I actually think it's valuable, as I mentioned previously, that we look at even another translation. The King James Version says, Blessed is he that watcheth. And so I think this is a parenthetical statement. That's why even our editors put this, this verse in parentheses. It's one of those flash forwards of assurance that even in the midst of all of this wrath that's being poured out, the Lord is telling those of us who are reading this book and saying, oh my goodness, it's going to get terrible here on the earth. He says, do not fear if you will watch for my coming. In other words, stay alert, stay awake, but watch for my arrival. You will be protected and you will not walk about naked. So, it is a promise of God for those Good of us point. who watch. It's kind of like being a, one of the five wise virgins and staying alert and watchful. The book of Revelation has a rhythm to it. It builds, uh, it, it tells about what's going to happen and one horrible thing after another and it builds this up until si finally you think, oh my goodness, there's no hope. And then suddenly, there's a flash forward that says it's all going to turn out in the end. Yes. Don't worry. Just keep reading. <laughs> and this is one of those flash forwards. Yes, it is. Okay. Hi, I'm Tim Moore. Many of you watching the Christ in Prophecy television show have been blessed by the teachings and information we've presented for years. Did you know that Lamb and Lion Ministries also produces a bi-monthly magazine called The Lamplighter? Every other month we publish a magazine filled with articles related to Bible prophecy. We highlight cultural trends and make observations about the current events of the day to point people to our soon returning King, Jesus Christ. If you become a Prophecy Partner, you'll receive the magazine automatically. If you're not a Prophecy Partner, you can receive the electronic version of our magazine at no cost. Or we'll be glad to mail a print edition to your home in the U.S. for an annual donation of only $25. Just call the number on the screen or go to ChristinProphecy.org to learn more. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our responses to questions about the book of Revelation. Okay, fellas, let's pick up where we left off. And the question has to do with chapter 17 of Revelation, which introduces us to a very mysterious and kind of horrible woman who is referred to as Mystery Babylon and the mother of harlots of all things. She is obviously a symbolic person, but a symbol of what? 
She's an amazing character when you read about it. I mean, she's obviously beautiful and voluptuous, but it's not long before John notices that she's dressed like a prostitute. Yeah. She's an expensive prostitute, and she holds this chalice, and she's drinking, and she's drunk, and then John realizes she's drinking the blood of the saints. She's rejoicing in the persecution and death of Christians, and she rides on the back of with the symbol of, for the Antichrist. And Mystery Babylon, is it, it's a mystery, obviously, so we don't have all the details. But from what we could tell, the first half of the tribulation will be guided by a new religion that will rise up after the rapture, a one-world ecumenical, we're all Lincoln Arms, Kumbaya type religion that she's a representative where, you know, some people say the Pope will be the false prophet. I think the Pope actually would be more of the leader of uh, this mystery Babylon. But she's a religious system who will then be destroyed by the Antichrist and his ten kings. Too powerful. She becomes yes. too powerful. He hates her. He wants her destroyed. They got rich off her, but now they're ready to have the Antichrist kingdom rise, and so they kill Mystery so Babylon. So you're saying she's a she is a symbol of a false religion. All right, and throughout the Bible, you find that women are always attributed to religious systems, yes. like uh, Ishtar and all that. So she sometimes would be positive, like the the church being presented as the bride, the bride. of Christ. And yes. what a difference! She's the complete yeah, opposite. The usually bride is pure a, and holy. A false religion. Yeah. Absolutely, she's a false religion that will last three and a half years. Tim, did you want to add something? There? No, I. Okay. All right. In chapter 18, we're introduced to an entity called Babylon the Great. It appears to be a kingdom that will dominate the world at the end of the tribulation. Is this a rebuilt Babylon, or could it possibly be Rome or the United States? I think it could possibly be any of those. Obviously, for many years, people said, well, it will be Rome, because that's the capital of the Roman Empire uh, in the old days. But we know that that may or may not be the case. Rome is not at its heyday that it once was. Others say, will it be a rebuilt Babylon? I've actually flown over the original Babylon, and yes, Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild some of the uh, the tourist attraction aspect <laughs> of Babylon, but it is not a thriving city uh, out in the plains there of Nineveh, what was. And we know, according to Isaiah 13, that Babylon, the original one, was destroyed by the Medes, never to be inhabited again. So, uh, we also have other folks that think, well, this is New York, the sort of the global center of commerce. Uh, folks, I got to tell you, some to some degree, that center of commerce is shifting to other parts of the world, even today. I think it will be a place that the Antichrist sets up his global uh, command post, if you will, economically, politically, and that will be this Babylon the Great. So well, it I is agree. symbolic of a true place, a literal place. It's going place. to be the headquarters of the, of, of the Antichrist, but I don't think there's any possibility, any, that it's going to be New York. No, no I don't whatsoever. Know. No. And I don't think it's going to be Babylon. I think it's going to be Rome. And uh, one of the reasons I believe that is because it's called uh, Mystery Babylon. It's referred to that. And, and at this time, when John's writing, he's a prisoner of, of the Rome, Roman Empire. Yes. He can't say the Roman Empire. It's right. impossible. Mm -hmm. So he refers to Mystery Babylon. And everyone in the first century who was reading that they knew what he that. meant. That's why, for example, Peter, uh, in one of his epistles, I forget whether it's 1 Peter or 2 Peter. Do you, the one you remember? Ah. It's, uh, it's uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 13. Peter is writing from Rome. He's writing from Rome. And he says, she who is in Babylon, speaking of the church, sends greetings to you. Yeah. He's using Babylon as a symbol of Rome. Yes, he is. Because that was used by everyone in the first century. So, I don't think, you know, for first century person, yeah, this is Rome. 
Yes, they would have clearly understood that. And I think that obviously as the Roman Empire is reconstituted, as the Antichrist comes from that region, yeah. that's the most logical place. Okay, chapter 19 begins with all of heaven shouting hallelujah over and over and over again. It's the only place in the New Testament where this word appears. Why are the angels of heaven praising God at this point when all hell is breaking loose on earth? This is the destruction of Babylon. This is the destruction of the Antichrist kingdom which was put in the headquarters into darkness as a, a judgment against it. This angel holds up this giant stone. I call it the stone angel in my book. And he hurls it down and, and destroys it. And so all the angelic forces are celebrating the end of the Antichrist evil empire. It's also a fulfillment of Daniel 2 where it tells about the human empires will have to be destroyed when Jesus Christ returns, destroys human empires and sets up His kingdom. And so this is a fulfillment of Daniel 2 where at last we're getting down to the last days of the Antichrist reign. Satan's reign on earth is about to end and Jesus Christ is about to set up His kingdom. Why would heaven not be rejoicing? Exactly right. And as a matter of fact at the very end of that section of uh, Revelation chapter 19 it says, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. The angels are anticipating the final culmination when the Lord reigns, not just in heaven, but on earth. You know, we are supposed to be praying, Lord, might thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. Well, at this moment in human history, his will will be fully accomplished on the earth, obviously, as he reigns here on the earth as Jesus comes back in his glorious second coming. Amen. I'm ready to shout hallelujah. I'm ready to shout hallelujah too, okay. four times. The rest of chapter 19 pictures the second coming of Jesus. And in verse 14, it says the armies of heaven will come with him. Is this speaking of angels? I think that it is speaking of angels and us as saints. And so I'll use this analogy. Uh, we know that in Joshua, that Joshua met a man who said he was the captain of the host of the Lord. Same word in Hebrew that is used here in this uh, New Testament verse as a host or as an army. In Luke chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 13, it says that a multitude of the heavenly host, the word used was stratia, which in Greek is a version of the same word used here for armies, plural, stratiuma. And so we are part of the armies of the Lord. We know that because later it says that the armies are clothed in white linen, fine linen, white and clean. Well, that's us because we were given white linen robes to wear. We are washed clean as we are given our glorified bodies and we return with the Lord. But I think the whole heavenly host also join in as the Lord comes back to witness His second coming. In fact, in Revelation 19, that exact wording is used earlier. In yes. verse 7 it talks about how after all the rewards have been handed out, the last thing we're going to do in Heaven before Jesus comes back to earth and we with Him is we're going to celebrate our union with Him in the marriage feast of the Lamb. And it says in verse 8, it was given to her, talking of the church, to clothe herself in fine linen, fine bright linen. and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then when it talks about Jesus returning, it says those who come with Him are going to be in, in fine, fine linen, white and clean. Yes. So it's obvious the church is coming back with Him as well as the angels. As yes, well, the angels yes. coming to Yes, sir. Another proof that the rapture happens before the tribulation, because otherwise we couldn't be coming down from That's heaven true. with Jesus. We couldn't have already gotten our rewards. There wasn't enough time. You had the tribulation where we were getting the judgment of the just and getting our rewards. We were celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we were preparing to return with Jesus on whatever these white horses are. That's another <laughs> mystery there. 
Well, I, I tell you, uh, when I when I first began to understand this and realize that we're going to return with the Lord, I got excited about that. You know, Jesus once before came to the Mount of Olives on a donkey, and he rode down into the Kidron Valley and up to that eastern gate, and it was filled with tens of thousands of people shouting Hosanna to the Son of David. I mean, this was the one who had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and they wanted to see this great miracle worker, and he was going to be the one to deliver them from the Romans, and so they were worshiping him. And a week later, many of them were yelling, Crucify him, Crucify him. Well, he's going to replay that event in his life. He's coming back this time on a white war charger. Mm-hmm. Not a symbol of a victorious general. And he is going to ride down into that valley and up to that eastern gate. And Psalm 24 says that gate's going to blow open exactly. and say, Come on in, you King of glory. And we're going to be there to see him crowned the King of kings and Lord of lords. And every time I sing a song that has Hosanna in it, I get goosebumps because I believe <laughs> that on that day we're going to be singing, hundreds of millions of us in the sky and our glorified bodies, others in the valley of Kindred, singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the Son of God. Oh my goodness, what a day that's going to be. Now I'm ready to yell hallelujah. (laughs) You know, every time we go to Israel and we take a group to the Mount of Olives, that's my favorite place because I sit there or stand and and talk about all the things you just described that are going to come to pass. And I've already seen in my eye the Lord's coming. It's not as glorious as it will be, but I've anticipated it. And I know I will be there, as will all of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Tell about the prophecy of the Eastern Gate. The prophecy of the Eastern Gate, obviously, as the Eastern Gate would be sealed, we were told, yeah. and it was sealed by Suleiman the, the Magnificent. 1500s. In the 1500s, he didn't want a Jewish holy man to be able to get Direct in. Direct fulfillment of Bible prophecy. But we know that when the Lord comes back, He will blow up in that Eastern Gate. As a matter of fact, in 1967, some of the Israeli soldiers who were trying to get into the Old City thought they, they would blow open the Eastern Gate. And Messianic Jews said, no, you, you're not Messianic Jews, but Orthodox Jews said, no, you can't do that. Only the Messiah can come through that Eastern Gate. But we know He will when He comes back to Earth. And what a day that will be. Amen. Wow. And if you want to read about that, folks, about the uh, coming of the Lord and and uh, the opening of that gate in, in, in Ezekiel 44 is where it talks about yeah. the gate going to be closed. But if you want to read about the gate opening, just turn over to Psalm 24. We all read Psalm 23. But if you read Psalm 24, you will read about the gate being opened. I was trying to find it here right quick, and uh, there it is, Psalm 24. And it says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And who is the King of glory? The Lord, Lord. strong and mighty. He is coming. Well, one last question, fellas. We don't have much time. Chapter 19, there's a reference to two banquets, one in heaven, one on the earth. Nathan, contrast these for us. Marriage Supper of the Lamb, a celebration of the church reunited with Jesus Christ. I will be there. Right. Then you've also got the Supper of God. That is the uh, sun angel comes out. He calls the carrion birds to come and prepare for the dead who will die at Armageddon when Jesus Christ returns and destroys them all. So, so you either at one banquet you're the guest, at the other banquet you're, you're the, the meal. You're the, the dinner, meal. right. Feast <laughs> with the saved or feast on the damned is one or the other. Okay. Folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it has been a blessing to you, and I hope, the Lord willing, that you will be back with us next week when we will continue to respond to questions you've asked about the book of Revelation and the millennium and the eternal state to come. Until next week, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Hello, my name is Nathan Jones, author of The Mighty Angels of Revelation. After my parents miraculously survived a devastating car wreck with the supposed help of an angel, 
I began to explore my own skepticism about the possibility that angels are active in our world today. I was challenged to seek out one of the greatest sources in the study of angels, the book of Revelation, with its whopping 72 instances of angels and demons. Out of my studies, I wrote The Mighty Angels of Revelation. In this book, I explore the writings of a man known as the Elder, visited in exile by the glorified Jesus Christ and shown the future. The Elder recorded how God will soon judge humanity with 21 judgments before installing His Son as King over all the earth. Throughout all of these cataclysmic, world-changing events, God's mighty angels are revealed to be hard at work in the service to their King. In this book, you will encounter angels such as the Seraphim, the Wind Angel, the Red Dragon, the Trumpet Judgment Angel, the Bowl Judgment Angel, and nearly 70 more. You'll come away with a greater understanding of how God uses His mighty angels in your life today and in the future as told throughout the book of Revelation. And you'll gain a renewed sense of hope that will guide you in these troubling last days. So come, travel along with the Elder and His angelic guide as the end times are revealed in stunning detail. Along the way, encounter 72 of God's mightiest angels as they proclaim God's messages of warning and hope to a lost world. Together, let us explore the mighty angels of Revelation. Order your copy online at lamblion.com or call the number you see on the screen. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 